Well, good morning. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Yes, we are getting back to Luke. If you've been with us over the course of the last 12 months or so, we began a journey verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. We took a little pause to talk about our Take a Step series and our new discipleship pathway. And this morning we are getting started marching through the next three chapters of Luke, chapter 11, 12, and 13. And the title of the series is called Out of the crowd and into the kingdom. The reason is because we're going to see a lot of language about kingdom and we're going to see a lot of crowds that came to hear the message of Jesus talk about the kingdom. Um, the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of Luke has a lot of narrative about what Jesus did. Now this section of Luke is going to be a lot about what Jesus said. How many of you have a red letter Bible? You have a red letter Bible? Do you know what the red letters are for? The red letters are just a way that the publishers put in there to indicate, hey, these are actually quotes from the mouth of Jesus. Those are not any more authoritative than all the black letters in your Bible, but uh, those kind of help us indicate. You'll notice chapter 11, 12, 13, a lot of red letters in there. So these are things that Jesus said about the kingdom. I want to anchor this whole series in one little verse that's tucked away in chapter 12. And here it is. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't you just love the gentleness that you hear in the voice of Jesus saying that? He addresses us as those that live in a really scary world. Have you noticed? Anybody get scared this week about anything that you saw going on in the world? Maybe, how many of you looked at your bank account and got a little scared about that? Yeah. And then you looked at your paycheck and that was scary. And, and then you kind of evaluated what was some of the things that were going on in your life and your, in your family, your kids. Man, our kids live in a scary world there. And so Jesus acknowledges that his little flock lives in a scary world. And then he, he identifies us as just a few, you know? Um, what he's saying is, is not everybody in the crowd is in the kingdom. You're just a little flock. You're gonna be in the minority if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus. And then he says, notice, it is the pleasure of God when somebody takes a step out of the crowd and into the kingdom. Nothing delights the Father's heart more than when a new little lamb joins the little flock. And that's what we do when we take a step out of the crowd into the kingdom. And then he says this, the kingdom is something that is given and the kingdom is something that is received. Do you understand what he's saying? When you are born into this world, you are born outside of the kingdom. And yet it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, but the kingdom is something that can be rejected and it is something that can be received. Which brings us to that word kingdom, which is the one that we need to wrap our minds around here because Jesus is talking about the kingdom here. What in the world is he talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? Synonymous terms. But we don't really think about kingdoms because we live in America, right? 
and it's majority rule and it's a democratic process, right? And we can vote you in, we can vote you out and, and we, we are the people. We're of the people, by the people, for the people. That's not the kingdom language. That, that we don't think about terms of kingdoms. And yet the, the culture into which the Bible was written was ones of clashing kingdoms. And so when Jesus and the other biblical writers, writers use kingdom language, we need to understand what they're talking about here. So let's give it some definition. What is the kingdom? First of all, let's say this. The kingdom of God is simply the rule and reign of God over all, all of creation is subject to the rule and the reign of Almighty God. I don't know if you noticed as we were singing this morning, the references to king and reign and sovereignty, Almighty God. That was all very intentional because we respond to God's sovereignty when we are in his kingdom. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. And so that comforts us to know that there is not one thing that moves one inch without the sovereign permission of God. Not one person, not one ruler, not one demon moves one inch without the sovereign control of God. God's kingdom rules and reigns over all. And then the kingdom of God is the hope of fallen humanity. Just in the first few pages of the Bible, we find out that, that our original mother and father, that God sovereignly gave a free will, rejected his kingdom. And you know what they said? Nah, we think we can rule and reign better than God. And so we're going to be king. And so they rejected God's rule and reign. And as a result, everything has been twisted and broken and fallen. That's why the world is so scary. That's why we have fear and anxiety. That's why we worry and we fret and we wonder, what is this all about? And why is everything so dissatisfying? Why are relationships so tense? Why, why is... We, why is there pain? Why is there sickness? Why is there disease? Why is there death? It's because it's all broken and we live outside of the kingdom. It's pretty depressing, right? And yet when we begin to march through the Old Testament, we're introduced to some writers identified as prophets and those prophets started predicting that one day there would be a day when the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God. There would be a king that would come and establish righteousness on earth and in a new creation forever. And those prophets give us hope. It's like, when's that day coming? That, how about today? Any, anybody in favor of that happening today? Yeah, bring it, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so there's this anticipation that it's going to like happen immediately. Like, come on, let's go. And then we get to the New Testament and we find that the kingdom of God comes in a very unexpected way. The kingdom of God was the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. 
King Jesus, born as a baby in a manger. And we find the first recorded words of King Jesus to be these. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came to announce the kingdom of God is here right now for those who will move out of the crowd into the kingdom. Jesus began to teach and his entire teaching ministry was meant to show people how they can enter the kingdom of God. Jesus began to use parables and most of those parables begin with these words, the kingdom of God is like and then he would illustrate it with a metaphor. And then Jesus performed these miracles. We've been reading about these miracles all through the Gospel of Luke. People were healed. People were raised from the dead. Um, uh, 5,000 people were fed with some fish and loaves. It's like, what is going on? All of those miracles were a sign that the kingdom of God was breaking into the kingdom of of this world. And it came in a very unexpected way because we would, we would expect if the kingdom is here, he would overthrow all of the wicked, evil kings of this world who oppress people and abuse power. And yet what we find is that the kingdom of God has attacked the ruler and the evil force behind it all. His name is Satan. So instead of transforming the realms of political power, God has invaded the spiritual forces and the spiritual powers at work inside the hearts of men. The king that Jesus came to overthrow is King me. That little throne inside my heart which is so prone to be influenced by the power and the rule and the reign of Satan. Jesus has come to say, that belongs to me. And all of those who will surrender the right to be king can move out of the crowd and into the kingdom. How's this message going so far? Are you encouraged so far? That's the introduction. It gets better, okay? So here is what I came to tell you, all right? Three things about the kingdom. Number one, the kingdom of God is clashing with the kingdom of Satan. Let's pick up the story here, Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. Luke writes, now he was casting out a demon now, demon, do you, do you get what a demon is? Okay, so demon, not like, you know, horns and pitchfork. Um, it, uh, a created angelic being that was created for the purpose of giving glory to God. The highest of those beings was named Lucifer. But one day Lucifer decided he wanted to be king. And so he challenged the rule and the reign of God in heaven. God kicked him out of heaven. Lucifer was so influential, he influenced one-third of all of the angelic beings to follow him in his rebellion against God. Those are now demons. 
Lucifer's name, Satan, the adversary, his followers, demons. And do you know what the demons and Lucifer, now Satan, is doing today? He's doing today the very thing that he was doing on the day he was kicked out of heaven. He is leading a rebellion against the rule and the reign of God. And he's trying to convince you to come with him. That's why you're prone to rebel against the rule and the reign of God. Why is my heart so easily turn my back on God? It's because you are being influenced by spiritual forces. Now, Jesus encountered one of these spiritual forces in verse 14. And as he was casting out a demon that was mute, and so he made a man lose his voice, which is tragic because God made the voice of man to do one thing, exalt and praise and glorify the name of Jesus. When you can't do that, that's tragic. And so Jesus is like, yeah, I, I want to free that guy's voice to exalt Jesus. So it says, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and all the people marveled. Not a lot of detail given about how that happened. It just happened. Not hard thing for Jesus? No. Because Jesus was king and he came to clash with the kingdom of Satan. And there we have an instance of Jesus assaulting the authority of Satan on earth. And so that provokes some discussion about what kind of power was involved. Verse 15. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So one of these demons, I guess, had a name. His name was Beelzebub, and they knew who it was. He's like, okay, you, you're not doing that by the authority, the rule, and the reign of God, because if we said that, then we'd have to acknowledge you as the king of the kingdom. We know you're not the king of the kingdom, so you've got to be using some other power. There's only one other power. You've got to be doing that by the power of Satan. And others, they kept testing him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, red letters, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Notice Jesus acknowledges the kingdom of Satan. It's a real thing. And it opposes the kingdom of God. So Jesus acknowledges it, and then he says, for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Verse 20, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, don't you love that? God doesn't even need a whole hand. He doesn't need a fist, just a little pinky finger, just like you, well, you'd flick a bug off the table, you know? That's, that's, that's how much power and authority Jesus has over the kingdom, the rule and the reign of Satan. If I cast out um, him by the finger of God, then notice this, end of verse 20, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of God. All of the Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled. The kingdom of God was coming to earth. The kingdom of God was breaking into the kingdoms of this world through the ministry, the message, and the mission of Jesus. Verse 21, he uses a metaphor. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace... His goods are safe. How many feel like you 
could defend your palace. I won't ask you. Some of you are armed and dangerous and you're strong. You, you, you fend off an attacker, right? Well, Jesus uses the analogy here and says, you know who the strong man is in verse 21? It's Satan. Jesus acknowledges Satan is strong. Satan is stronger than you. Satan knows more Bible than you. He's a strong man. So, do we have any hope? Yes, we do. Verse 22. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Who's the one stronger? What's his name? It's King Jesus. King Jesus is stronger. Satan is strong. Jesus is stronger. Satan is mighty. God is almighty. Do you know what that means? We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live dominated by Satan or sin because the power of Satan has been broken. Jesus has disarmed the devil. We continue reading in the New Testament, and this is what we find out. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in their case, he's speaking of unbelievers, in the case of unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The title for Satan here is the God of this world. Little g. You say, wait a minute, I thought you said God rules and reigns over all. Yes, the God of heaven ro rules over the God of this world. But we live in this world where Satan has power. We live in his territory in a sense. And yet we know the kingdom of God has come. And this is what happens for those who have yet to believe. The God of this world keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Doesn't it baffle you how much indifference there is toward Jesus in the world? You, you've come, you've worshiped, you, you sing, you give, and the people of this world think you are nuts. What's the difference? You've stepped out of the crowd into the kingdom. They are blinded by the God of this world and cannot see the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And that's what Satan is doing right now in the world. He's blinding the minds of those who have yet to believe. And the scripture goes on and tells us we were all in that case at one point. We were born into this world in bondage to the God of this world. You once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Again, kingly language. He's a prince and a power of the air, of the, the, the environment, of the atmosphere, of the culture, we might say, the territory that we occupy. That's the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So even though Jesus has defeated the power of Satan, he has not yet destroyed the power of Satan. That spirit is still at work in the sons of disobedience. 
And so we live in the land in between. Yes, Jesus has come to inaugurate the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. And yet, we know that the kingdom of God has not fully and finally been established. We live in the land in between. We live in a war zone. There's a spiritual conflict between good and evil taking place. And for those of us that have made our way out of the crowd into the kingdom, we should expect spiritual opposition. But not only that, we should expect spiritual victory. The question is why, why? Um, Jesus is like, come on anytime. We could, you, you can set up your throne here anytime. You can overrule the dominions and the thrones and the, the powers and the principalities. What, what are you waiting on, Jesus? Let me tell you what he's waiting on. Matthew 24 tells us why he hasn't come yet. It says this. It's, uh, by the way, he, let me show you this one first. Colossians 2, Colossians 2, don't want to miss this one. This is, the, this, is, this is scripture. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So is there any question that Jesus has defeated this, the devil? No, that is an established fact. You don't have to fear. You, if you're in the kingdom, King Jesus has already fought your battle. We can expect spiritual victory. But why is he waiting? Matthew 24, verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You want to help Jesus get here a little sooner? Go preach the gospel, live sent, and proclaim to the nations the gospel that we so freely enjoy here. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for us to get the gospel to the nations. And when we do, the end will come. This gracious God wants more people to move from the crowd to the core, to the kingdom. And he wants this little flock to become a little bigger. And that's why we live sent. But be assured, while we do that, we're going to be opposed. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be marginalized because we are preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Here's the second thing. The kingdom of God is entered through the gate of repentance. Look down here at verse 23. He, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus leaves no room for middle ground. You cannot give passive approval to Jesus. Let me show you what will happen if you simply give passive approval to Jesus. Look at verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Do you get the analogy? He's using a metaphor. You ever clean house? Little, we're just going to we're going to clean house. We're going to tidy up. We're going to get rid of some junk. That's, that's a picture of what happens for a person that initially says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to reform my behavior. 
I, I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to clean up my language. I'm going to start going to church. But Jesus is teaching us the issue is not behavioral reform. It is kingly replacement that is important. It's not enough to reform your life. If you want to move from the crowd to the kingdom, you have to replace your king. And if all you do is reform and not replace, notice what verse 26 says. Then that demon goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. You understand what he's saying? Wavering, indecision. Am I going to be part of the kingdom of the world or am I going to be part of the kingdom of Christ? Can I just have one foot in both? Do you know what he's saying? You're inviting demonic activity in your life. And the, your last state will be worse than if you didn't even try to reform your behavior. You know, let me, let me make it a little more tangible here because that, there's a lot of spiritual language in all of that. Let, let's make it a little more practical. In the world you and I live in, again, it's hard for us to translate kingdom in the world that we live in. Do you, do you not understand that you and I flow in and out and are very influenced by about seven kingdoms? If we can just categorize them here, you'll, you'll recognize them when I say them. I mean, all of us, the first thing probably we think of, maybe the closest analogy is government because we think of geopolitical kingdoms. And, and yet we are in a, in a system of government and, and it, it has some power. Does everybody understand? There's political power. There's, there's governmental power. They make us pay taxes, right? And, and, uh, and there's rules and laws. And so we kind of live under the influence even if though it's a republic, you, you know, uh, there, is some, there is some rule, there is some reign, right? Some limited human government. So government. But even beyond that, all of us are influenced by the rulers and those who reign in education. I mean, people that pick the curriculum that you were going to study and, and the people that, that you listen to, whatever course you take, or even a podcast. It's all an education of, of the information that flows in and out of our brains. It shapes our thinking, right? So there's kind of the kingdom of education. How about the kingdom of business? You have a job? We all kind of live in a work and economy. There's a marketplace out there. People are, are making products and they're influencing us to buy them. And then there's media that markets those things to us and who controls the commercials, um, you know, who controls the narrative in the nightly news and, and whatever hits the internet. Um, and then there's the whole kingdom of art and entertainment, right? Those who write the scripts for the movies, those who write the song lyrics, we're all influenced by this the, the, the rulers and the reigners in that kingdom. Or, and there, there's the kingdom of your family, right? If you're a teenager, you probably feel like dad's king, or at least he thinks he is. And he, he's telling you, you know, what to do all the time. And he's like, hey, he's limiting my freedom, you know. And, and, and so we're all influenced by family. So there's the kingdom of family. And then even those who influence the family, what's the definition of marriage? And, and uh, you know, what's the proper way to parent and all those different things? What's your obligation to your extended family? Those are all influences. And then there's the 
um, there, there's the influence of religion. You, you could say religion and spiritual systems and faith systems is that whole domain, domain. So we have these seven different domains or kingdoms or influences or cultures. And does everybody understand you're operating in all of those? Well, here's the thing. What Jesus is teaching us here is all of those have been infiltrated by a sinister, evil force that opposes the rule and the reign of God. And yet if we're citizens of the kingdom, we swim in that all the time. Whatever music is, is on your phone, whatever shows you're watching on Netflix. And so navigating all that can be really difficult for us. Every time we hear about a war that starts, there's hatred between nations, or even at a more basic level when two fifth graders get in a fight at school, or you know, there's bullying that happens in a middle school. Every time there's, a, there, there's a, an injustice in, in different socioeconomic platforms, and wherever there's those that are disadvantaged, and, and, and wherever there's uh, children or, or women that are trafficked, all of that is because of this demonic evil influence that opposes the righteous rule and reign of God. Wherever a, a divorce occurs, wherever marriages are hurt, wherever there's fatherless children, all of that is an evidence. We see all of that. We, as Christians, we know why all that happens. It's because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to the glory of the gospel of Christ who is the image of God. And so we could get discouraged by that because all we are in the middle of these kingdoms, Jesus said, you're just a little flock. I mean, how is a little flock gonna survive in the midst of an evil kingdom? But what Jesus does in this story and throughout the gospel of Luke is help this little flock to understand you have nothing to fear. The kingdom of Christ is breaking through the kingdoms of this world. And if you have eyes to see it, you can see it happening all around you. Isn't it great when you hear a report of the kingdom of God breaking into the kingdoms of this world? It's rare, but man, man, there's a spiritual victory right there. Something good happened in the world. There was a marriage that was reconciled. There was a, you know, there was, there was a family that was saved. There was, there was a sinner that was converted. Somebody who used to be anti-Christ is now pro-Christ. Has anybody been following what's happening with Conway, Kanye West? Anybody been watching that? I, like, I can look around. I can tell you're all connoisseurs of rap music. I can tell that. And you've been following him for decades. And you got all his... Now, can I just be honest with you? I, I have really known about Kanye West. I knew something about, you know, Kim and the Kardashians and, and you know, lots of awards. But, but listen, we could, we could literally say, this is, a, this is a king of the kingdom of art and music and entertainment. And that whole kingdom is scratching their head right now because that king has declared Jesus is king. Amen. He released an album this weekend and it's called Jesus is King. That's quite a statement for a man who once declared he was God. 
And, I, you, know, the, you know, the Christian community is like, really? Because, I mean, all right, is this is a publicity stunt. You're just trying to sell a record. I mean, come on, you, you really expect us to believe? You know, they had the same opinion of a guy named Saul. You remember Saul? Murdering Christians. And then one day he's like, yeah, I met Jesus on Damascus Road, and he's king. And they're like, yeah, you want me to believe that? You killed my cousin three weeks ago, so how am I supposed to believe that? He went on to write half the New Testament. He turned out pretty well. I think he gave some evidence Jesus really was king of his life. So listen, I don't know. I'm not, I cannot confirm nor deny the conversion of Kanye West. But I am hopeful that the kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of our Lord. And I wish that some of us would use our influence to be as bold about Jesus being king of our life as, as Kanye is apparently about Jesus being the king of his. So whatever's happening, we can, we can be encouraged because we know Satan is defeated. One day he will be destroyed. And very soon the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. So how do you get there? How do you move from the crowd to the core. How can we know if Kanye is genuine? Uh, we just read the Bible and we read in verse 29. When the crowds were increasing. Now, there's the crowd language again. Now, if, let me ask you this. If you became so influential that around you crowds were increasing, what would be your message? I mean, what if all of a sudden, all of your, you, you, you're in, you just got all these Instagram followers and you realized I'm an influencer. I, I am now an influencer. I, I should have something to say to all of these people who are now following me in the crowd. What would you say? Let's find out what Jesus said when the crowds began increasing around him. This generation is an evil generation. Oh, yeah, the crowds are increasing. You're evil. That's not what I would say, but that's what Jesus would say. You know why? Because Jesus was not in, interested in increasing the size of his crowd. Jesus was interested in increasing the size of his kingdom. And this evil generation needed to repent to move from the crowd into the kingdom. He says... Uh, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given because, or except the sign of Jonah. You remember the Old Testament story about Jonah? God told him to go preach to the Ninevites because they were evil. And what did Jonah do? No, thank you. He jumps in a boat and starts heading the opposite direction, but then God sends an uber well to deliver him back over to the Ninevites to preach the message. He throws him up on the sea. He's like, okay, I better get after it here. I'm going to preach repentance. That's the story. And Jesus was saying, remember that guy? That's not just a cool little children's Bible story. That's a sign to an evil generation. Because he says this, he says, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the son of man be to this generation. Verse 31, the queen of the south. What, who, who is that? Okay, so the old, another Old Testament story, book of Chronicles, there was this queen. Her name was Sheba. She heard about a king named Solomon. And she heard that Solomon had so much wisdom, she wanted to hear the wisdom, so she came a thousand miles. She left her throne 
to come and sit at the throne of King Solomon to listen to his wisdom. And Jesus says, remember that story? The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater is than Solomon is here. Do you know what he's saying? She came a thousand miles across the desert to hear a king's wisdom. Jesus is saying, I came from eternity to talk to you about a greater wisdom. Are you going to hear me? And then he goes back to Jonah, verse 32. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented. That's the gateway into the kingdom. They repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It's Jesus, King Jesus. All those Old Testament stories were pointing to the fact that Jesus would be king. And the only way into King Jesus' kingdom is through repentance. You turn your back on sin and evil and the God of this world. And you surrender the throne of your heart to King Jesus. He rules and reigns sovereignly in you. Last thing. The kingdom of God is seen through spiritual eyes. Verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar and under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus is telling you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm light. And he's telling you, you, can you see it? The only way to enter into the kingdom, you got to see the doorway and you got to have spiritual eyes. Look at verse 34. The eye is the lamp of the body and your eye is healthy. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. Another way of saying that is to, to use the word focus. Like, what's he talking about? Put the word focus in where you see the word eye. When your focus is healthy, your whole body or your whole life is full of light. And when your focus is bad, your body or your life is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be fully bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Jesus is saying this, your problem is not a lack of light. You've been given signs. You've been sent prophets. Jesus has performed miracles. All of the miracles were signs to point that the kingdom of God has a king named Jesus. The question is, can you see it and will you repent? The problem is not a lack of light. The problem is a lack of sight. Will you willingly shut your eyes to the evidence that Jesus is king? Or will you open your eyes, turn your back on the kingdom of darkness and enter in and move from the crowd into the kingdom? You say, I did that. I did that when I was 12 years old. Yeah, but you got to do it every day. Every 30 seconds, my heart has a tendency to be influenced by the God of this world. I'm in a spiritual battle. And so as I invite you to stand right now, could I encourage you as we dismiss and I send you back out into those kingdoms where there are challenges to the kingdom of God. Would you just in your heart resolve 
to live under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. Why don't we bow our heads, close our eyes. Just wanna give you a moment. So often we have to rush out of here. Jesus said, there's no middle ground. He who is not with me is against me. If you don't gather with him, you'll scatter. No passive approval permitted. We don't just relate to Jesus as a savior. We don't just relate to Jesus as a friend. We relate to Jesus as a king who is sovereign. Will you surrender your sovereignty to the rule and the reign of King Jesus? Tell him that. Let's respond to him in song right now. Sing this with us.